0: Welcome to this edition of Behind the Drapes where we are introducing a new type of series called Pocket Pods. Pocket Pods was a creation uh, that happened over the past holidays after my younger sister came home and was giving me notes about the Behind the Drapes podcast and one of her suggestions was creating this type of format where we are doing shorter episodes that have very narrow and focused topics that an audience or someone listening can pick up at any time and listen to on a short commute or while they're doing the dishes, um, and maybe even be able to pick it up again and listen back to it for some useful information that they can refer to. Um, What we're going to be discussing in a lot of these episodes are various topics relating to healthcare. Um, as well as current events, which brings us to our current episode. Uh, So we actually had recorded an episode previously to this that was originally going to be our first episode for the Pocket Podcast series, but because we wanted to stay relevant in terms of current events and with everything that happened with Monday Night Football last night and of Mar Hamlin, uh, we thought it would be appropriate to talk about this situation and and have this be sort of our first launching point for the short podcast series. So the second voice that you're going to be hearing in the show is going to be my younger sister, Rachel. And Rachel, I'll give you sort of some time to introduce yourself.
1: Hi, I'm Rachel. I'm the sister who brought him the notes over the holidays. Um, I'm currently a nursing student in Connecticut. I'm in my last semester, um, and then I'll be ready to be going into the workforce after that. So I'm very excited for what's to come in my journey.
0: Awesome. I'm excited to see where this podcast takes us and conversations we get into. As both brother and sister and physician and nurse, I think we'll have very interesting perspectives of healthcare and the different topics that we're going to be talking about. But for any of you guys who didn't see, although most of you probably have at least heard about the situation, uh, Damar Hamlin was involved in a tackling incident yesterday. Um, and after he got up from the tackle, you see him basically collapse to the ground All we pretty much know today is that uh, paramedics and the physicians on the sidelines came to uh, assess him and see what was going on. We know that he was given about nine to ten minutes of CPR on the field, which revolved around um, chest compressions as well as AEDs. Um, It was very clear to see from the players' reactions that whatever happening was very serious and very emotionally distressing to them. Um, We couldn't really see as audience members, which I think was very appropriate uh, because they had sort of created a human wall around DeMar. Um, But that's about all the information we know. It's only natural to go on Twitter after events like this and kind of see what people are talking about and trying to get as much information as you possibly can. Um, It seems like as humans, whenever situations like this come up, we want an answer and we want a why. Like, why does a 24-year-old fall to the ground, and what is going to happen to him? Uh, I think it's very normal for humans to just want an explanation to, one, feel better about how this person is going to do, and two, sort of comfort us us to know that, you know, this is just a freak accident, and hopefully this isn't something that's going to happen again, either to a loved one of ours or to another football player. Um, So. Rachel, we were talking about this last night. What were some of your initial reactions when you heard about this?
1: Well, I just want to start by saying this, like you said before, this was clearly a very traumatic event. Um, so we're sending our prayers to Damar Hamlin, his family, and all of the teammates uh, who were involved. Um, my thoughts when I first saw it was how... I mean, the sport can be very barbaric. And, of course, you expect, like, there to be some injuries if you're a professional athlete, but you never expect something so traumatic like this to happen where a teammate or you you yourself go unconscious for a long period of time. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a very sad situation, and I hope for the best for him. um, But there's not much we can do right now.
0: Yeah, and I think even anticipating news. It was quite a long period of time last night, if you're paying attention to the broadcast, before they ultimately decided to suspend the game um, for the remainder of the evening, that we were going to get some news in terms of how Demar was doing that night. I don't anticipate there's really going to be any news coming out today, because um, a lot of the times where anyone needs CPR, you do these post-resuscitation efforts to um, basically keep the body as metabolically even keel as possible. So that means keeping the patient asleep, keeping the patient cool, um, not trying to sort of agitate the different organs in the body so that you can conserve as much oxygenation as possible. Um, Because when somebody goes down in these situations, what you're ultimately worried about is that delivery of oxygen when their heart stops. Um, So I kind of only anticipate that we're going to hear that he's still in critical condition today. Um, But as sort of the days progress this week, hopefully it's only good news each day.
1: Mm-hmm. And I know you used to be an EMT back when you back in your younger days. Uh, so do you have any similar experiences to this or have any uh, background knowledge around these kinds of injuries?
0: Yeah, I think uh, it really did bring me back to sort of my EMT days, especially seeing like the ambulance come on the field. Um, we would sort of be responsible for different sporting events at UVM as well so like the basketball games, the baseball games uh, and the hockey games. I never personally had an experience um, where somebody collapsed and I had to use an AED in a sporting event, Um, but I certainly had um, other people who were part of our squad who went through that scenario. Um, But something I can talk about is, you know, when you see somebody pass out, there is sort of an algorithmic way that you go about assessing them and treating them. And when I first saw this hit live, Um, I basically created a differential in my head of, okay, this is either uh, related to his brain or this is related to his heart. Because when somebody passes out, what you ultimately have going on is a decreased uh, blood flow to the brain. um, And then that part of the brain that's controlling your consciousness um, is then basically shutting down because it's not getting the oxygen or the blood flow that it needs. Um, And so in medicine, when you don't know exactly what's going on with a patient, you create what's called a differential diagnosis. And so that differential diagnosis is basically a list of things that you think could possibly be going on with a patient. And the importance of your primary survey is to figure out, can I narrow down this differential to ultimately find what the underlying problem is and what my ultimate treatment is going to be for this patient? Uh, so when you're responding to a patient who's down on the ground like this, Uh, Most people, if you grew up before the 2010s will pretty much remember the ABCs of CPR. Uh, The reason I say before 2010 is because around that time is when the American Heart Association actually switched that um, acronym to CAB. And they basically put circulation as sort of the first thing you want to assess in a patient who's down. Mm -hmm. Um, So in this scenario, you would basically check for a pulse to see if the patient has a pulse. It sounds like sort of based on the way the events unfolded here, uh, this person did not have a pulse. So that's why CPR was delivered. Um, And when you're checking for a pulse, the most uh, common place to check for a pulse is in your carotid. Um, That's where one of your most central um, arteries are gonna be so the pressure should theoretically be higher than if you're feeling like in the wrist. Um, another place you can check is in the groin, your femoral pulse. Uh, but the one thing you want to consider in a situation is this is a football player who has lots of pads on, clothes on. The um, femoral pulse might not be too easy to get to. Um, the neck might be sort of your first place to check. And then after you basically determine that this person does not have a pulse and you initiate CPR, um, your next sort of assessment points are, okay, if he doesn't have a pulse, he's probably not breathing. So I need to open up his airway, um, which typically involves doing some sort of a chin lift or a neck extension like this, um, and then you're going to basically take over the breathing for that patient. Um, so initially, you're going to start with a bag valve mask, um, and that's basically your typical bag that looks like this, with like like almost like the shape of a football um, that has a mask on the end of it. You make a good mask seal over the patient's mouth, and you squeeze the bag, and that's sort of what's delivering oxygen to the patient's lungs. Um, while CPR is going on, um, you can start to figure out what your airway plan is going to be. Many paramedics or ambulance providers will carry um, supraglottic airways, meaning that there's airways that sit above the vocal cords. Those are also known as laryngeal mask airways or King airways. Uh, but they also have tools to intubate the patient if. Um, they figure that's more, um, if it's in the scope of practice for that provider, and if they have the equipment available, they can also intubate. Um, So that's sort of the algorithmic way that you would treat somebody who goes down.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. I've seen cardiac arrest happen in the hospital setting, but I have so much respect for EMTs who have to you know, um, attend to these cardiac arrests out in the real world. Just I can't imagine being surrounded by being in a stadium surrounded by a whole bunch of fans and then all the players, all the coaches surrounding them trying to figure out what's going on. I mean, it has to be very intense and you don't always have the same number of resources that a hospital will have. So um, I have a lot of respect (laughs) for the medical personnel Mm -hmm. that were out there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think you hit a good point. The fact that you're, surrounded by so many of his teammates, which in that moment are really like family members. Um, And you have to be so focused on what you're doing in that moment and sort of blocking out everything, all the noise, all the lights around you. And I think the way that medical providers become so good at their jobs, especially in situations like this, comes down to preparation. Um, We as EMTs, and even as medical professionals now, Um, We practice so much before we enter into these situations. Mm -hmm. Um, Ideally, in your career, this only happens, you know, a handful of times. Um, I probably attended maybe four or five codes when I was an EMT. And now that I'm a physician, it sort of comes up maybe a little bit more frequently in my career. Um, But again, it's not sort of like a regular thing that you normally encounter. And so the best way that you can handle these situations is just being mentally prepared Um, And that's why if you're CPR certified, you get the recertification every two years. Um, If you're an EMT, you're practicing for these scenarios in between cases. Every time there's a new employee or a new trainee, you're training this person. And that's only ingraining it more and more in your mind so that when it's game time, it just seems natural. And you know exactly what the steps are and what the next steps are. Um, Yeah, so things get done efficiently.
1: Right. Like you said, we practice a lot. I know where I work, we every three months, we have to kind of recertify our CPR skills. So we have like an adult mannequin and an infant mannequin that we practice on and they grade us based on our performance. So we are practicing a lot so that we're ready for these situations.
0: Yeah. And kind of like what we've already said is like you really you really never know when these situations are going to arise this is just happens to be an example where millions of people happen to be watching something at the same time and we all sort of saw it unfold. Um, but there's a lot of times where this can just happen in the general public. Um, and I think, you know, there's always been a decent push from the American Heart Association to get people CPR certified. Um, I know my wife is a teacher and a lot of her students are interested in healthcare fields. And the best advice I can give them is, you know, go get CPR certified. That's like a great way to at least, you know, get your toes wet and just like kind of understand what it's like to think as a medical provider. Um, and like this is just a clear example of doing good CPR has the potential to really save someone's life. Um, same thing with AED availability. You know, obviously a place like this is going to have an um automatic external defibrillator available. Um, But when I was actually at UVM, one of our initiatives as UVM rescue providers was to make sure that all of the main campus buildings had AEDs on site, so that if we were ever called to a code situation, CPR could be initiated almost instantaneously, and someone who is CPR certified would be able to take this AED out of a package A lot of AEDs really run themselves these days. It's just a matter of turning it on, attaching pads, you know, above the or on top of the heart and then to the side of the heart or sometimes on top and in the back of a patient. Um, And then the AED will literally verbalize what steps to take next.
1: I think some of them have pictures on them too to show you what to do. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And again, these are all great things in times of panic. Um, You want to make things as easy as possible uh, for your medical providers. In no, fact, accidents- there's a lot of, go ahead.
1: Accidents happen more often than we think too, especially in the younger population. So it's actually nice to hear that Lillian students. I mean, these are what, like 16 year olds that are trying to become CPR certified. So that gives me a lot of hope. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And the other thing you want to do is like, even, even after you get CPR certified, it's only like, you know, a few hours that you're really being taught these skills and you're it's so easy to just forget these skills um, but when it comes time to practice you know what you've learned, there's no shame in pulling out uh, like an app on your phone or even the picture on your phone that shows you the CPR algorithm and basically takes you step by step by step of like what you should be doing um, in fact like when we were talking about episode ideas for the show, one of the things that I wanted to cover was literally going through the American Heart Association uh, CPR algorithm step by step, just so that more people can hear it and more people can reference back to it um, and just keep those steps fresh in your mind. So, again, when you're in that moment, it just comes natural. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so Damar Hamlin. Our prayers and our thoughts are with you and with his family and with the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals. And honestly, everybody who was there in attendance, um, it's a very jarring thing to have to go through. I was actually reminded of a situation um, that happened at UVM in 2018. Um, I had obviously graduated before that, um, but there was a basketball game going on in the Patrick Gymnasium, And one of the people in attendance basically went down, passed out, ended up having a heart attack. And there happened to be, I think, like a cardiologist and a cardiothoracic surgeon, like in the stands who started CPR and were able to get an AED. Um, And I think they went through a similar time of like um, 10 to 15 minutes of CPR. And he was eventually transported to UVM Medical Center. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was just right before I recorded this, looking back at that news article and he ended up doing great. Um, And I know that these are sort of individual uh, cases and obviously you can't apply his case to this case. Um, but there is proof that early CPR, early recognition, early shock and defibrillation can save lives. Um, it's reassuring that we know that he is, you know, still with us and still in critical, you know, obviously still in critical care. Um, but he has a pulse. You know, we've heard from friends and family, at least on Twitter, that his vital signs are starting to normalize, uh, still has a breathing tube. Um, But again, we'll just sort of take it day by day and see how he recovers. Uh, So what would you take away from this one, Rach?
1: Uh, From this episode, I can take away that how important it is to be prepared and refresh on your skills as often as you can. Um, Just being able to apply your skills in various situations right away can be very important in certain situations.
0: Absolutely. I think that's a great take-home message for everyone listening. Uh, For those of you who are listening, we're hoping to put out some of these pocket pods sort of randomly throughout the week and in between the regular scheduled Behind the Drapes episodes. Um, We're going to be talking about a bunch of different things anywhere from a survival guide for people who are on night shifts um, to different eponyms that are in medicine and where they come from. Um, So I hope you guys really like this format. I hope you are interested in the topics that we talk about. Um, if you have any suggestions for things that you want to hear about or uh, that you want us to discuss, feel free to leave conference. Um and yeah, listen along for more.
1: Thanks for listening.